So um, it's the end of spring break. It's the Sunday after Easter. Big letdown. Huge letdown. It's always a letdown. At least it is for me. So you guys work hard today not to let me down while we, uh, uh, while we, while we worship uh, the Lord together. One of the things that um, I, I think about uh, this time of year particularly is that, um, you know, I'm so focused on getting us to Easter that uh, once uh, Easter's passed, it seems like what, you know, what are we doing till Bible school, kind of. That's how, that's how my church calendar works. We're done with Easter. What's the next holiday? Bible school. And, and then what's the next holiday after that? Well, we roll over the Sunday after Labor Day and get, get, get going again. And so uh, uh, that's very high church, I'm sure. Um, but... Uh, what we're doing today is we're, we're going uh, to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 5, and then next week we're going to finish off uh, looking at 1 Peter, and then we'll start something else after that. I haven't decided on what I'm going to do yet uh, uh, that will begin that will lead us uh, into the summer. We've been looking at 1 Peter since back in August, and today we've gotten up to chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. As Kevin said, it's about shepherds and, and, and leaders and followers and, and uh uh, how that uh, works itself out in the life of the church. Um, you need to know that as Peter comes to this point in the book, um, he has just completed saying to the church that they're about to enter into a fiery trial, that they're about to enter into a, a, uh, a, a very difficult period of time, a very difficult period of persecution. And so these elders that he's going to talk about and the followers, because uh, he addresses both in this text, are entering into a time of probably intense suffering, and Peter himself is probably facing martyrdom uh, in the not-too-distant future. So you have to put this, this uh, exhortation to, to leaders uh, in, in that kind of context. So let me read to you 1 Peter 5, 1 to 5, and then we'll jump in here to see what he has to say to us this morning. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace uh, to the humble. Uh, we uh, I, I got to spend some time with, with my son a few weeks ago. He's on staff, just started uh, 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 about a year ago on staff at a church in Florida. And this winter, he uh, coached a sixth-grade boys' basketball team uh, that's a part of the school at, at the church where he works. And... Uh, uh, he was talking to me about it, and I told him, I said, you know, that experience was pro will probably be the best experience of these years early in your ministry for what ministry is like. And he was like, you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I tell him what to do. I, I, I mark out, you know, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and this is where it's going to, and they never do what I tell them to do. Never, never. And then I think, oh, then I start feeling really bad about myself because I'm like, am I not clear? And then I'm like, yes, I'm clear. They just do what they want to do. And, and, and he said, what makes it even worse is, what's, Dad, do you know what it's like? And this is so awesome. 
He's like, do you know what it's like to have an 11-year-old tell you you don't know what you're talking about? (laughs) Really, son? That's never happened to me before. Really? (laughs) And then he says, and those parents. Oh! It's like, there you go, buddy. This is it, you know? This is... I said, one of the things that you learn about ministry in the church is, unlike uh, leadership almost anywhere else in the world, you, we think of leadership as, I'm out front, I tell people what to do, they're going to see how great it is to do what I tell them to do, and they're going to do it. And I said, in the church, the church is not like that. In the church, everyone has a voice. Everyone has an opinion. And not only do they have an opinion, but you as the leader are under obligation to hear that opinion and to implement that opinion with the passion with which they have that opinion. And then you'll be a success. Leadership is, is such a hard thing, isn't it? I mean, it's such a, it's such a, a, a powerful and profound thing. And, and honestly, in the church... It is weird. It is, it is unusual. And that is why that when, when Jesus talks to, uh, to Peter, as we'll see in a few minutes, when he speaks to the church, when he talks about his own role as leadership, more often than not, he speaks of himself as a shepherd. He speaks of himself as someone who goes before his flock, who lays down his life for his sheep, who leaves the 90 and 9 to go get the one that is lost, who, who, who has his sheep follow him because he creates in them by his spirit the ability for them to hear his word and to listen to him and to follow him. It is, it is a profound thing. And yet, even in the midst of that, one of the ways that Jesus does that in the church is by raising up leaders that he calls under-shepherds like him to lead and shepherd the congregation. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, the, the thing that is so challenging about that is, is we, we think and we look and we see, well, if Jesus was out front, I would get it and I would follow him. But that guy? That guy? Really? Really? Exactly. So, so here's, here's the thing. Peter sees a church that is struggling. Peter sees a church that is facing persecution, and he urges them as these elders are leading them, perhaps, uh, into a season uh, of persecution. He wants to speak to the elders. Now, now one of the things that you, I want you to do is, as you, as you listen to this, you think, well, I'm not an elder. I'm not a leader. I just show up here. My eyes are rolling back in my head. I think in a, I'm thinking about brunch because... This sermon has nothing to do with me. Well, wait a minute. This letter was written to be read out loud in the church for everybody. So there's something in this instruction for elders for all of us. But not only that, at the end of this this text, he says to us that all of you clothe yourselves in humility. 
And so as we look at this today, I want you to, I want you to hear these instructions to, to elders with an eye towards what Jesus' leadership is like, but also I want you to look at it as with an eye toward your own followership um, uh, as, we, uh, as we just unpack what this looks like uh, today. So, so to understand what these encouragements to elders and to non-elders and the whole of the church, uh, to understand what it's getting at, we need to first go back to a breakfast meeting uh, by the Sea of Tiberias. And now it's not a board meeting, okay, but it's a breakfast meeting. This is a few days after Jesus was raised from the dead. And so after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Now, first things first. When we say we're going fishing, we tend to think, oh, I've got some spare time. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not really uh, engaging us. He kind of shows up, you know, walks through the walls, and suddenly he's among us, and he does these things, and he disappears. <clears throat> you know, to kill time, I'm going to go fishing. No, don't read it that way. That would be like you saying, uh, I'm going to go make a spreadsheet. Because fishing is what he does for a living. I'm going to go make a business plan. I'm going to go uh, trade some stocks. Uh, I'm going to go write some computer code, right? So he's thinking, you know, this is what I know how to do. Uh, it, we're in this kind of really uncertain situation, uh, really great situation, but I don't really know what I'm going to do. So I'm going to go back to doing what I used to do. So he said, I'm going to go fishing. They said, and we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night, they caught nothing. So uh, this breakfast meeting that's about to come is in the context of failure. Failure to catch fish, but an even bigger failure, right? Uh, because Peter, uh, even though Jesus told him that he would deny him, denies him three times. And we read that great text in Luke when he denied him and he cursed uh, that Jesus looked at him just as the rooster crowed, right? So, I don't know if you've ever denied somebody in their deepest moment of need. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you've ever really, really, really sinned against somebody in a in a in a pretty dramatic way. Uh, but it makes the relationship awkward, especially when it's Jesus, right? And so, so something needs to happen here in their relationship. So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, it would, it would be better translated probably, fellas, boys, uh, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Now, it should begin to begin dawning on them who it is that's telling them to do this, because Jesus has done this with them before. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, he's the one who's writing this, said, therefore to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So this is like 
the first men's breakfast ever, all right, in the church, right? So, so Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Peter's a big guy. 153. Now, notice it's not 154. It's not 152. It's 153. They got fishermen count their fish, don't they? Right? So you get you should have a sense here that this this is a this, this very sweet story that we're reading here has the ring of an eyewitness account of what's going on here, right? So 153 of them, and and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." Now none of the disciples dare ask him, "Who are you?" They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now, if you were, this were a movie, the uh, um, background music would be swelling to some tension here. You'd have some ominous cello music going on about now because what we've been waiting for is about to get, get addressed. Simon, son of John. Notice he doesn't call him Peter doesn't call him the rock. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, people debate about what the these is. Is the these the fish or is it the other disciples? Um, I, think, I think it's probably, I think really it's probably the fish. But in Peter's mind, it's probably the other disciples because later on in this text, we're not going to get to it today, after Jesus has this conversation with him, he says to him, well, what about John? What are you going to do with him? And Jesus very lovingly shepherded him by saying, it's none of your business. So, um, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He's grieved because Jesus is repeating this, but Jesus is doing this three times because Peter denied him three times. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So what we see here, when, when Peter comes to these, this church and, the, and he speaks to these elders and he speaks to us this morning, what he is saying to us is, listen, the, the, the shepherding that I'm talking about is grounded in what Jesus did with me that day out there on the seashore by the Sea of Tiberias. That's exactly what he's getting at. And so, so it, and you have to see this, that, that when Jesus calls on Peter to do this, when he restores him, when he asks him if he loves him, and then he tells him to shepherd the flock, to feed and to tend the lambs, that is exactly what Peter's getting at here. Now, one of the things that you, you have to see about this, this text that is so important is Peter identifies himself not as an apostle. He's an apostle, and, and apostles have immense authority. 
They, they, they were commissioned directly by Jesus. They witnessed the risen Christ. And, 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 and we read their words today in the Scriptures as the authoritative Word of God, that God actually spoke through them in, in ways that He speaks through no one else. And yet here in this text, when He speaks to the elders, He says, listen, I'm not talking to you as an apostle. I'm speaking to you as a fellow elder. I'm speaking to you as someone who is a sinner, who struggles, who has had multiple failures in his life, but by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, I have been redeemed and restored and forgiven and placed in this position of authority. And so let me speak to you now about what it is Jesus wants you to do. Because the context of this call of Peter and the context for the call of everyone in leadership in the church, and in fact, the call on everyone in the church is a call and a context of failure, is a call and a context of sin, is a call and a context of brokenness. Because what we recognize about this is, is that all of us, all of us who are in Jesus' flock are there because Jesus died for us. He's the one who put us in the flock. We didn't earn our way. We didn't get a ticket to get into it because we're gifted, smart, good-looking, uh, or any of those things. It is simply we are here by, by virtue of his grace and his mercy, by his atoning work. And not only that, not only are we in the church in that way, whatever position of leadership or authority he gives to us is, is his to give. Now, he does it through the church. But ultimately, he's the one uh, who is the source of all of this. And so, so you have to see, as he says to us about humility, as he says to us about the difficulty of, of being a leader or being a follower, it's always in the context of Jesus is the true shepherd. And to the degree that he enables and strengthens and encourages fallen, broken, um, often failing leaders... That is the people that he's speaking to. That is the, the audience uh, that he has chosen, that he has set up to lead uh, this congregation. So the context of this call is tremendous failure. Now, next slide. So, but we must also see that the prerequisite is not only sins forgiven. Jesus not only restores Peter, but he asks him the question, do you love me? Because ultimately, the shepherd that you want, the human shepherd that you want, is someone who loves Jesus first. And that love spills over into their love for Jesus' people. That's why he says, do you love me? So the very first qualification for leadership among the people of God is, do you love Jesus? Now, now let me be clear about what that means. And, and let me be clear about how that works, because um, that's, that's not a work that you do. Now, I want to use an extended quote here from um, a book uh, we used to use around here a lot called We Would See Jesus, um, written by some missionaries uh, from, um, um, from England. And this section of the book, I go back to, I don't know, three or four times a year uh, when I'm really discouraged about the fact that uh, I'm a terrible leader and... Uh, Y'all are terrible followers, <laughs> you know, okay, and we're in this together, and you, I know that probably pains some of you, but, you know, let's just, 
you know, it's like a sixth grade boys basketball team sometimes. And I'm about like a 23-year-old inexperienced coach. So, and this is particularly good for us because uh, we're an activist church. No one's ever accused us of being uh, contemplative, you know. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, you know, don't, don't tell me how to think about this. Don't tell me what, what, how you arrived at this conclusion. Just tell me what to do, right? So to concentrate on service and activity for God may often actively thwart our attaining the true goal, which the goal of the Christian life is God himself, right? So at first sight, it seems heroic to fling our lives away in the service of God and of our fellows. Um, one, of the, one of the first crises we had as a congregation when we first started was uh, we were a church that worshiped in a middle school, and we packed everything every week in and out of a trailer hooked to a Buick station wagon. And uh, there were people that would take the bins through the hallway at Bird Middle School out to, the, um, out to the trailer at the end of the service. And there were lots of people, visitors, who just stood around and talked while people were carrying the bins out. Crisis. What is wrong with these people? Don't they see me carrying this box out? Why aren't they helping me? They should have helped. But, but, why am I so intent on carrying this box out? Don't they see me carrying this box out? And why aren't they stopping their stupid conversation and helping me carry the box? Right? Uh, they should have been appreciated. They should have been, we should have plaques to them for carrying the boxes out. And, uh, Yes, I mean, they, they, they were right. They were totally right. They should have been helped. But you got to ask the question in, internally, what's up here, right? So we're, I'm flinging my life away here in the service of God and of our fellows. We feel it is bound to mean more to him, that is to Jesus, than our experience of him. Service seems so unselfish. The things God is most concerned about are our coldness of heart toward him and our proud, broken natures. Christian service of itself can and often does leave our self-centered nature untouched. In fact, that's a danger that we experience. Is I'm so busy here working away that, <clears throat> uh, and using my gifts and uh, all of this that I miss what's really, what really matters, and that is I need to repent I need to hear the gospel. I need to have my heart renewed, right? So that's why there's scarcely a church, a mission, or a committee undertaking a special piece of service that is without an unresolved problem of personal relationships eating out its heart. This is because Christian service often gives us, and this is so awesome, opportunities for leadership and position that we could not attain in the secular world, and we quickly fall into pride, self-seeking, and abandoned. And so you hear that, it's like, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute. I am an accomplished person. I'm at a third-level manager at my company. You know, I, I matter, I'm significant. But you see, think about this for a second. We're reading this morning from a man who was a fisherman. Now, 
we call him one of the founders of the church. We give, we, we give him incredible authority in our lives. He's a fisherman. It is the work of Jesus Christ to take this fisherman who's just, just a fisherman. He's a great fisherman. He hauled a net with 153 fish in it. Uh, he's a big guy. He, he you know, um, but what other fisherman that died 2,000 years ago, are we talking about today? Are we talking about any of them? I don't know any of them, right? We don't, they, they, he's got this position of authority in your life, and he's a fisherman, right? He attained a position of authority, an eternal position of authority, because of the work of Jesus Christ, right? That's who he is. That's where he is. That is the, that is the thing about this that you have to see. So suddenly, here I am, in this position of leading these people in my living room or leading these people in this meeting room or, or finding myself in this situation where they look to me to answer the uh, questions of eternal significance and I'm thinking, do you really know who you're asking? Right? And so authority is exercised in a community of redeemed sinners so that we have a posture, even in leadership, of humility, right? So, so Peter, even though he is an apostle, even though he is an under-shepherd, even though he, he touched Jesus, he was with Jesus, he, he saw the empty tomb, he is commissioned particularly by Jesus. One of the things that you have to see about him is he, he understands that his calling is in the context of Jesus redeeming him from his sinful pride, of Jesus redeeming him from the fact that he said that he would die for him no matter what, even though when push came to shove, he wouldn't. He, he understands that his position here is something, and his authority is way beyond anything he could have ever imagined or earned or come up with uh, on his own. So authority is, go back, Chris. Authority is exercised in a community of redeemed sinners so that we have a posture, even in leadership, of humility, right? So even the person that, that, that leads us leads with a clear understanding of without the love of Christ in their lives, they'd be nowhere. Okay, next slide. So, so leaders lead from a low place. As he says here, you lead in the way that God would have you to lead, that he's the one who's placed you into that position, and you're not domineering. In other words, you're not manipulative, and you're not angry, and you're not demanding in the way in which you talk about people. You, you, you're not even looking to the people that you're leading for approval because you look to Jesus knowing that a day will come where he will present you with the unfading crown of glory that, by the way, you don't get to keep. You throw it at his feet, right? And then clothe, all of us clothe, in humility. And that word for humility there describes not just somebody who's like, please notice that I'm humble. Please, please notice that I'm very meek. Humility means you don't get noticed. Humility is the willingness to do what Christ has called you to do, to bear witness to the gospel, whether anybody looks at you and sees you doing it or not. And why is this? Because grace runs downhill. Peter says something in this text that is pretty profound, that God opposes the proud. And so, the, you don't want to be there, right? 
You know, you don't want to be in that situation. You, the, the, the thing that he is calling on us to understand about ourselves is that we are where we are simply by his grace. We are where we are simply by the fact that he has redeemed us, he has called us, and in his mercy and grace, he has placed us uh, in the position to lead or to follow as he has seen fit. Next slide. So the shepherding and leading of the church is more about character than about gifts or even popularity. You see, the, the, <clears throat> the, the, thing, the thing that we have to see about that is we are a culture that is dazzled by gifts. We are a culture that is dazzled by presentation. We are a culture that is dazzled because, frankly, uh, when I look at you, I see many of you, I see you, and I see two three, four of you, because there's the you that I see here this morning, there's the you I see uh, when you're troubled, and then there's the you I see on social media, who always seems to be on vacation, (laughs) whose kids are always winning the science fair, and uh, who look terrific, and everything is terrific. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? What? I just, I wish I could be that guy. You know, let's, let's change our name to that family and just, you know, kind of co-op their social media presence and make that our lives, and we'll be happy, right? So, so, the, so, so the, the, the fact is, that's not what, what the, when Jesus talks to us, about his under-shepherds. He's not talking to us about those kinds of people. In fact, the kind of people that he uses are the people who don't get glory for themselves, but, but, but direct the glory toward him. So humility, driven by a gospel understanding of my standing, that I'm fully righteous, uh, that Jesus died for me, that he loves me, and that without that, I'm a desperately dead man, is a prerequisite for leadership and followership. Now, let me be clear about that. Um, um, years ago, I was out fishing with my dad in a boat, uh, which is, by the way, for parenting, what a great place to do parenting. Because when you're on a boat in the middle of the water, you're in a boat in the middle of the water. <laughs> right? And so... Whatever he says, you're going to hear it, right? And you can't get away from it. So I'm complaining to him mightily about the fact that I am unappreciated, that I'm killing myself, and that the people that are in authority over me do not appreciate or see the great gifts that I have. They're not elevating me to the positions that I should have. They're not recognizing me. They're not following me. They're not, you know, and so... These people who are in leadership over me, who I am submitted to, uh, are not treating me and uh, respecting me in the way I think I should be respected. Now, you know, so, Dad, what are you going to say? I hear you, son. I'm for you. You know, those guys are jerks. No. He just says, well, you know, one of the things I've learned in life is that we... Uh, get the leaders we deserve. 
Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Which was really pretty ironic since he's my dad. And I'm, you know, but anyway, uh, I wasn't sharp enough to think about that at the time. But uh, so humility uh, is a prerequisite for leadership and for followership. So, so here's the thing. What we recognize about our lives together is that Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd, is the only one who laid down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ is the only one who has the authority and the place of honor. Jesus Christ is the only one to whom we ultimately look for our hope, for our deliverance, for our our standing, for our understanding of who we are. And so as he clothes us with positions of authority or positions of following or whatever, whatever role he has for us, This ultimately is not about our agenda or about our drive to get certain things done. It is about being clear with one another about who we belong to and who our true leader is. And so one of the great things that we do and one of the great ways that we have an opportunity to think about this this morning is as we come to the Lord's table. You don't get a ticket to the table by virtue of your gifts or your abilities or your looks or your smarts or any of those things, you, you're admitted to the table because Jesus admits you to the table through his broken body and his poured out blood. And so one of the things that we do as we gather here today to eat this uh, um, bread and drink this cup, we have this, it, for many of us, we think about this as this kind of quiet, liturgical moment uh, in the church, when in fact, the context of the very first Lord's Supper was a dispute over who was going to be in charge, who was going to be greatest. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given them thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's, let's confess our sins together by using this prayer of confession. It's in the